Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. This briefing explores the practicalities of obtaining valid consent for surgery and exposes some difficulties in that process. The case relates to a woman, Mrs T, who presented with leg pain caused by the prolapse of an L4-L5 intervertebral disc. It was agreed that expectant management would have probably resulted in resolution of her symptoms perhaps over a year, but that this resolution could have been accelerated by discectomy. Regrettably, after competently performed surgery, Mrs T nonetheless experienced disabling leg pain, arguably consistent with an intraoperative injury to the L5 nerve root. She also experienced altered sensation, which is said to be consistent with injuries to S2 and S3. The court found that the surgeon overstated the likelihood that the patient would enjoy a symptomatic improvement as a result of the surgery. In addition, that the surgeon emphasised an eradication of pain rather than acknowledging to the patient that amelioration would have been a more realistic expectation. The option of having no surgery was, in Mrs T's case, a very important alternative to surgical intervention, and the court accepted that she was aware of this from conversations with her surgeon. By contrast, the detailed written information was found to be unreasonable. The letter describing the potential complications of the forthcoming operation risked confusing the patient that the expectant approach was of no real significance or that it had been superseded by the requirement for an operation as the only option. It was agreed that the surgeon did not advise Mrs T of the inherent risk, up to 5%, that any procedure could exacerbate her condition, despite disclosing less frequently occurring risks. Again, omission of this disclosure was found to be highly relevant when compared or contrasted with the alternative of no operation, with the likelihood of gradually receding pain, and ultimately recovery within 12 months. The court noted that the routine meeting between Mrs T and her surgeon on the day of operation allowed both to ensure that they remained remained committed to its performance. By contrast, in an aside not relevant to Mrs T's claim, the court asserted generally that the routine meeting between patient and surgeon on the day of the operation is, the court's words here, neither the place nor the occasion for a surgeon for the first time to explain to a patient undergoing elective surgery the risks and benefits. This represents rare high court advice to clinicians who are considering new disclosures on the day of surgery. The reasoning behind that advice was based on the judicial observation that, again the court's words, on the very cusp of the procedure, both surgeon and patient are distracted. The surgeon by pressure of time and the patient by their psychological commitment to proceed. There is a mutual momentum towards elective surgery, which it is hard to halt. There is no adequate time and space for a free choice and sensible dialogue to take place. The court found that, objectively, the reasonable patient in Mrs T's position would, following the necessary disclosure, have either rejected surgery or sought a second opinion. Subjectively, taking her evidence into account, the court concluded the same thing. Similarly, if Mrs T had sought a second opinion, the reasonable advice that she would have obtained would have led her to refuse surgery. 
The court also explored the extent to which subjective factors relating to the patient that the patient is dealing with are relevant. The starting position is the test in Montgomery, whether, in the circumstances of the particular case, a reasonable person in the patient's position would be likely to attach significant to the risk. This combines the objective standard of the reasonable patient with the subjectivity of the person in the particular case. The judge identified characteristics which may not be self-evident in clinic, such as a patient's ability to deal with pain or their need to continue employment, the effects of a coincidental crisis such as a divorce or a bereavement. In addition, implications for mobility and treasured sports and hobbies. To this could be added difficulties with their dependent children's education or impending homelessness or prosecution. Any of these may render a normally resolute person temporarily more fragile and, in turn, less willing to run the risk. The great difficulty for clinicians is how they might enable the patient to scrutinise those subjective factors during their decision-making for surgery. Rather than only consider them following surgical or misadventure and reflect that on the basis of their situation they would not have run the risk in the first place. Whilst these intensely personal aspects of a patient's life remain unknown to the surgeon, it would seem unjust to expect him or her to appreciate the ramifications that foreseeable risks of surgery may have for the patient. It remains to be seen how far the English courts will go in allowing claimants to dress the reasonable person in their particular clothes. I hope this was useful. But if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage or type Clinical Law into a search engine.